Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Crunch this. Yep. <laughs> You're gonna record the opening of a can. Yeah. Yeah, I'll probably have a few more beers today and have a little kip. Yeah, sure, mate. Cheers, buddy. Great to meet you. Thank Good on you, mate. Yeah, cheers. Oh, thank you. And time. Beautiful day for it. So to set the scene for everybody listening. We're uh, in Carlton, Melbourne, beautiful sunny day, Um, Sunday afternoon here with Ross from the Cosmic Psychos. It is, Ross, the end of an incredible time in your country for me. Uh, I've been here three months. I go home on Tuesday. Unreal. Two days time. And I knew before I left, I needed to sit down and do one (laughs) of these with you, especially in Melbourne. Um, So much I want to talk to you about. This is the last day. I don't usually ask people about how tours going because you know there's a million interviews like that, but it does bear just touching upon here because today is the last day of um, what's been a pretty extensive Australian tour, hasn't it for you guys with Zeke? Yeah, it's been unreal actually. Yeah, right down the east coast, so it's been unreal, and they are just they're a hundred percent. They are just such a good band to watch, and just to I don't know how they do it, but it's just a full assault on all senses. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost when you're watching them, you, you're almost begging them to stop, <laughs> so you can have and a that's breath. Why you chose them, yeah. yeah. Oh, they are just great, and I can't believe we all know the same people because mm. you know I'm hanging out in Seattle for the last 35 years. Um, I'd never met them. Like I'd, I'd run into Jason, the bass player, a couple of times, but we'd always be in separate parts of the world. So. Right, I thought, would have assumed it was a friendship that did date back to the 90s when you were meeting the rest of those guys. But no, this is the first no, this time is the fir- uh, spent it's proper un- time together. It's unbelievable that we just kept missing each other's paths. Well, everything happens when it's supposed to, right? Well, absolutely. And maybe it's a good time because um, when we're all younger and a little bit looser, maybe we wouldn't be still sitting here today. If we'd, <laughs> if we'd joined forces back in the 90s, because those boys have done it hard. Do and, they still uh, go hard as well? Oh, they've learnt... F- They've learnt to um, stay alive, shall we right, say? Moderate, yeah, moderate, and just like we all do now. Yeah. So, and uh, I mean, it doesn't look very moderate around here, Ross. I'm not going to lie. Well, 
However, I'm 62 years old and I'm still staying up till four o'clock every morning having a beer. Well, I have a theory on that. Um, aside from the physical health, I think rock and roll keeps you young and you only oh. need to look at Mick Jagger and Keith Richards right, yeah. to see that in effect. Playing this music, living this life, staying connected to the source, whatever it is, however you define the muse and the drive, yeah. I think it keeps you young, man, because you see people your age who are in office jobs their whole lives or you know, manual labor, which I know you do as well, and something about that life can become soul-crushing and back-breaking and it can grind people down. Oh, it? yeah. And look, look, you only got to listen to Hackney Diamonds, like the Stones' new album, yep. which is just like, it's like it was recorded in 1976, uh-huh. some of it. It's 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 actually, I, I heard it when I was actually over in Seattle and I went, what the hell? I go, this is something a bit different. Mm. And it was just, yeah, and the life. You don't look at, yeah, you just, how can, it's like taking a, an 85-year-old car down the highway at 100 mile an hour. They can still do it. Still feels good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can tell they're having fun, which <laughs> well, is that's, unreal. That's what I love about you guys, you know, is um, you talk the talk, but you walk the walk as well. And it, it ain't no show with you guys. You know, you you really live it and, and you are it. You embody it. Well, we have fun. Yeah, because for a band that doesn't rehearse um, – we live in different parts of the country. Dean and I only live like an hour away. Macca lives two hours away by plane. Um, but every time we hit the stage, we have fun. It's like three blokes getting together and just just having a, I don't know, just getting back together. Mm. Well, I should also point out that you're staying in an Airbnb with the band, yeah. which I've never seen before. I've done a lot of these in hotel rooms over the years and usually people on tour like to kind of i make whether they like to or not i don't know but they just do they isolate themselves in the hotel rooms and that's why without going dark i think that's why you get a lot of these overdoses or, or whatever they are is because you know all that time alone in your own head after coming off stage performing to however many people yeah. surely it's better to bond and enjoy the camaraderie and spend time with each other uh, after the shows around the shows yeah, yeah before during and after it's like we we just like hanging out and just, you know, the, the bullshit that we go on about all day <laughs> and then continue for that. That's you know, what we should be recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and continuing for 45 minutes to an hour on the stage and it doesn't stop and the shit just keeps flowing after we finish. And honestly, the only injury we're going to finish up with will be will be a busted laugh muscle, basically. So <laughs> it's quite easy. Dude, I love it. Um, watching the documentary, I've watched it a couple of times. Um, when I landed, I've just just like immediately, almost as soon as my feet touched Australian soil, I was asking friends who live here, like, tell me Australian films, documentaries, bands. I wanted to just immerse myself in the culture and some of the the popular culture history. And and my friend Jeff, who plays in a few bands around town, he was like, you got to watch blokes you can trust. Um, watch that. I was familiar with the band, loved the music, but had no idea about some of the, you've mentioned Seattle a couple of times, yeah. about some of the connections there and, and the, um, the very early kinship that those grunge bands and you guys forged. Oh, yeah, it was unreal. It was just that it was, it was, a, it was um, I can only explain it as, look, there's so many good bands came out of Seattle on that scene, which I always felt that we weren't a part of. I think we brought the clown element to it all and and took the edge off anyone trying to be cool. Yeah, right. Because like when I first, my first photo of Mudhoney I ever saw, this hair and this sunglasses, and I'm going, ah, oh, they're almost that cool. I, I, I hope I never meet them. You know, it turns out Luke and turns out to be one of my best friends of all time and they're all great guys and I love the band extremely. They're all fantastic fellas and yeah, then, then there's the young Nirvanas of the yeah. world and Tad and and you see bands like Soundgarden arise from a, a little a little place to be the biggest band in the world, and then there's your Pearl Jams and there's just every like it's just and they're all good people. And yeah, you were right there, weren't you? Before they blew up, so you saw well the early yeah you're watching it all evolve, which all was which was evolve, which was yeah. incredible. Just going, what the hell, you know? It was like when the world cottoned onto it, it cottoned onto it really quick. And it was like, what the hell's going on? Because, you know, we'd known of these bands and it's almost disappointing. There's so many bands that didn't explode and they were just as bloody good. Mm-hmm. You know, they were incredible bands. Um, 
How d- how did you guys make waves over there pre-internet? How did that word of mouth travel? Uh, it was other than word of mouth. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, mail, snail mail. Right. Um, um, record shops. I think you know. Um, yeah, a lot of people like Mark and Mark um, would. He was a big fan of underground fanzines and and and, and just records. I guess so. I guess the sub pop put a record out, but even before then, he would have dug some down on the farm record out of some grungy record shop. Album, some, right? Yeah, the yeah. first EP, and and it's just word of mouth and and letters. You know, people writing to you and writing back because um, you couldn't ring anyone because it was too expensive. Like you know, it was like six bucks a minute to call. But no, it's just it's just snail mail, mate. That's all it was. That's unreal. Yeah, which is. There's a magic to that time. Um, you know, I grew up at a very interesting cross-section in communication history because I didn't have a mobile or the internet at all as a kid, but then it came in when I was probably about 17, 18 was when I started to really use the internet. So I had a whole kind of you know upbringing without it, so experienced that life and then could enjoy adulthood with the benefits of it mm. and was right there at that intersection. But I do think, without being too um, blissfully reminiscent, there was a real magic about that form of discovery and communication where you had to work at it. Yeah. And it meant more. And if you wanted to go and see a band, you actually physically had to go and see them. You mm. could not get on your computer machine and press a button and go, oh, I might go and see them. They don't look too bad. You actually had to go to a pub and you had to buy a beer and you had to pay money to get in and then you had to see them. You know, it might have only been five bucks, but it was, it was that whole night out. Which it still happens. I know the pub scene's still going, but but back in those days, it was just like I'd look at the gig guide, come down from the country, and look at the gig guide and go, "Well, that that name sounds interesting. Never heard of him. That sounds interesting." And work your evening out going to see all these different bands to see who you liked and who you didn't like. What's it, the name of that gig guide? Famous gig guide that Melbourne has distributed for many years and it used to apparently be like the size of a phone book and now it's reduced to like a leaflet. Do you know the one I mean? Yeah, it's a famous it, local yeah, it was cultural the, listings thing. Yeah, the one that I used to look at back in the in the seventies and, and early eighties was it was in the age newspaper. And there was three pages of gigs. I am just trying to think of what it was called. Bit of grey matter happening. <laughs> but yeah, it was like three or four pages of bands and you could just troll down and then it got thinner and thinner and thinner, and then it just disappeared. But, yeah. but uh, I'm just trying to think of it now. Oh, bloody <laughs> It'll come back to me. I'll, I'll add it in post. Yeah. So set the scene for me in the 80s or even perhaps the 70s around Melbourne because um, there's, a, there's a dark underbelly to this city back then. Oh, yeah. Wasn't there? And, yeah. and much like London, now it's become very gentrified and, and hipster. But then totally different case right and if you were going out there was danger and excitement around every corner oh yeah like when i was a young bloke trying to find a place to drink i would end up down at bojangles in st kilda where you know chopper reed and his mates all the all the underworld used to go down there that you'd be lining up for a beer and everyone's wearing gold chains and and very heavily set and dangerous looking people i'm 18 17 18 just wanting a beer on a sunday so mingling in there, and then a lot of that dark, that kind of dark stuff, sort of developed into a lot of the music going around as well. Like, you know, I've always said, there's two. There was two kinds of scenes around when I was young, and growing up, and there was cool, or there was fool, and I preferred the fool. So we'd call the bin birthday party. Yeah, fool, boys next door. I used to go and see them all stuff. the time. And birthday party and, that, and just a heap of heap of bands around that the world, you know. It was Roland Howard's one of his first bands and stuff. And I used to go and see all this stuff. But I got and and, and you know, and all power to the birthday party, fucking amazing, you know, incredible. And uh, yeah, Nick Cave's one of Australia's greatest exports, I think. But I just didn't fit, and I, you know, I like hanging around with my grandfather. But I don't want to go to a gig and smell everyone wearing their grandfather's jackets. I was more of a black T-shirt, have a bit of fun, get pissed, yeah, and, and really fucking life it up. I didn't want to stand around and look cool. It was it was analysed too much. It was good shit, and I used to go a lot. But uh, yeah, for me, it just wasn't me. It wasn't me. 
I'm all about fun. I there's, hear you. there's no fun in depression. No. So, um, yeah, I just that, and that was that enough was the shit scenes. in the world, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Instead of going out and being hanging out the dark side twenty four seven, and I was, and as I said, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. We all go there and we all experience those things, but you oh, don't necessarily yeah. need to live in that space, do you? Yeah, no. When I want Although to go, there's great art to be made there. Yeah. Oh, bloody oath! It's because of that great art's made, but. No, I just prefer just to go out and have fun, smile, <laughs> yeah. wake up with a terrible headache and go, fuck. Here we go again. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, who were the bands for you then? Because um, you guys, and we'll talk a little bit more about the influence <clears throat> you had on other bands, but for you, starting out as a songwriter, as a as a, um, a performer and a singer and all of that stuff, who were the you know leading lights of inspiration for you? Well, my first album was Slade Alive. Great. And I played that. Wolverhampton's finest. I'm from Birmingham. Absolutely. And I played, I could play that album with my eyes closed on a tennis racket. That's how much I played it. And I just, I was just nothing but a Slade head. Because that's like proper. I always say to people who don't like Slade or people who just know them for the Christmas song, like without Slade, there'd be no Oasis. They were the original English yob rock, you know, stadium size anthemic band you know they'd have all the football fans in the 70s singing those songs like oh. it was proper you know whoa i don't think you, yeah you hear their live recordings i don't think they'd be an acdc i really don't they just that rough sound like yeah. you listen to their records but you listen to their live recordings they are heavy as fuck you know they're just great so that was that sort of the glam rock part yeah uh and then akadaka sort of hit and oh, yeah. fell in love with them now, when was the first time you saw them? Uh, and you I, saw them with Bond, I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. saw them with Bond. I actually saw them live at, at the Sydenham Town Hall when I was about 16, when they used to probably play three or four shows a night around the circuit. And I didn't really know who they were. I, to get in to see them, no, I couldn't get into the hall. And it was surrounded by blokes drinking long neck beers and looking like they want to kill people. So... It was a bit of a trying time for a 15, 16-year-old. <laughs> and then that, all that stuff. And then I was a huge Kiss right. fan, like early Kiss. I mean, they were inescapable at that time. I ah. actually, um, I've had Gene and Paul on the show, and I, I, one of probably the highlights of my life and career is I was invited by Kiss to go on the Kiss cruise and, ah. and do some live interviews and DJ. Yep. And for me, they were like, you know, larger than life and, ah. and so escapist and... and, and just, I think they changed a whole generation of, of kids and the way they looked at music, didn't they? Oh. And they enabled them to like buy into the fantasy and the over-the-top nature yeah. of rock and roll. Unbelievable. Yeah, actually, you would have been on my, um, one of my best mates has done, went on that couple of Kiss cruises. Yeah, that's so much fun. Yeah, it just looks, it looks amazing. <laughs> amazing. No, so Kiss was a big thing. And then... Then it was... You're talking my language, Ross. I've got to say, oh, this is all the music I love. Well, the thing is then, I remember coming home... Motorhead, another one? Oh, well, yeah. no, that was a little bit later okay. on. Because what happened is I come home from school one day and my mum goes, I've just read an article in the newspaper and there's a thing called punk rock. And he goes, apparently they urinate on themselves <laughs> and they vomit. And, I, and she goes, I hope you never get involved in that. And I went, nah, I'm kissed through and through, mum, no problem. And how old are you at this point? So this uh, is at like 73, 74? 75, 75. so 16, 15, 16. And I went, oh, yeah. And then I saw on this music program in Australia called Countdown. It was the only only way in I had because I couldn't pick up any radio up the farm. Like it would fade in and out, so it was really hard to stay up with what was going on. And then I heard a band called The Saints. Right. I saw them and I went, shit, that's all right. And at the same time, my mate, whose older sister was going to art school in Sydney, was getting involved in the Radio Birdman Saints scene. Now, very quickly, what I think is fascinating and incredible about that specific time period, say 1976, is, again, there's no internet, so there's no speed of information. But in England, New York and Australia around exactly the same time are these bands that are beginning to give birth to this thing that's about to break called punk. Yeah. And how it's all happening at the same time is kind of magic. It's weird, isn't it? Like it's how, because, you know, the Ramones and the Saints aren't worlds apart musically, but they can't have known about each other at that time. I mean, it's just whatever culture yeah. is going on. 
unless you jumped on one of them big aeroplanes and flew over there and, and, and watched a gig with 10 yeah. people there and 10 people there. And then took it back with you. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's unreal. So I got really introduced to a lot of stuff through Victoria and she was, and we'd get cassettes. She'd make cassettes for us. So, you know, I went from Kiss to Saints, Birdman, Modern Lovers, Richard Hell and the Voidoids, Television. All the It's just stuff. all starting to just enter me head. And then, of course, latched onto the English stuff and, you know, and all that early punk stuff, you know, Clash and Buzzcocks and just, just that first run, that first run. And then from there, I went back. Then I went back and then discovered the Stooges, which I'd never really paid any attention. I'd, obviously, I'd always go back, not forward, when I'd chase, chase the music roots. Me too. Well, that, my friend has a phrase called tracing the fruit to the root. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Perfect, yeah. And that's, it. that's how it all started to develop. And then, basically, it was the Ramones that gave me the confidence to go, you know what, I think... I'll give up the tennis racket and I might buy a bass guitar because I love DD Ramone. And it was just so simple. And I thought, if he can do it and they can do it, maybe I can do it. Which Did was... you ever see the Ramones live? Oh, yeah. 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 The first time they came to Australia yeah. was up at um, La Trobe University. Uh, would have been 300 people there. I was probably three people, like an empty room, but packed at the stage. Incredible. Incredible. I got to meet Joey once. In New York, near right. the, in the Continental, he walked in to have a look at the renovations. Just staggered in on his sticks, and it was just like I was just, just uh, turned into a shivering mess. <laughs> so they're one of those few bands for you that still kind of loom large as this life-changing band. We should say oh, at this yeah. point, Ross yeah, is yeah, wearing well, a Ramones yeah. T-shirt, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, so I, I very rarely wear <laughs> wear um, band shirts, but this is a part, I've always had had one of these. So. Um, it's me pajamas, mate. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now they were. Char- well, they just made it accessible. Yeah, yeah they right. just made thinking. Well, I can do that, uh, and you don't have to be some kind of fucking genius or do lessons or some whatever. Just make it up. Or anything, yeah. Yeah, just make it up. So, and I'm still doing it. So, so you so. promised your parents you weren't going to go into punk rock. You did. What was their reaction when you did? Were they <laughs> terrified about the outcome? Were they supportive? Were they thinking this is just a passing phase? We'll let him indulge for a bit and see. No, nah, they were. They were. My old man was a bit of a bastard, and um, he he really got into me because I used to make my own punk rock badges. I'd buy NME and Melody Maker and cut out pictures and make my own badges. And then uh, one day, my mum found me sniveling shit's record. I can't come, which has got like a bloodstained bed. <laughs> And I've never heard of that. Wow, that's as punk as it gets. Oh, it? it's great. Ha- I look, can't come. I can't Amazing. come. And on the other side, it's Terminal Stupid and I can't come. It's great. <laughs> it's like every second band in Melbourne at the moment sounds like the Snivelling Shits. Right. They're fucking great. Um, I love them. One of my favourite all-time bands. Amazing. The Snivelling so, Shits. Snivelling Shits. Brilliant. Look them up. Yeah, I can't it. come and Terminal Stupid. <laughs> and you'll just hear so much modern, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of bands sound like it fucking great it's really really good stuff well, it's good to know that that's where that comes from because i was up in queensland last month did a couple of dj gigs up there up on like the gold and the sunshine coast and a bunch of punk bands played the venue i was djing one night and they were as all bands do you start out you know half your set covers right because you don't have enough original material to fill a set and all of those bands were covering the chats and amel and the sniffers as if they were like, you know, your Ramones or The Clash when Unreal. you guys would have been starting. And that is the impact of those bands. Should we just move out of the sun a little yeah, bit? Yeah, just a little bit. That was the impact. Well, that is the impact, sorry, of those bands at this point in time in Australia. And it, it's phenomenal because they've enjoyed so much success already. But it was just so amazing for me to see how in this country, on their home turf, they're like heralded as, you know, these leading lights of rock and roll. That's great. It's fantastic. It's like it. Look, the only the only reason we're going all right overseas at the moment is on the back of this resurgence. And I'm like going, people go, how do you feel about that? And I go, unreal. Well, it is amazing because you have obviously inspired those two bands and they'd, you know, readily admit that. But it's great that they're now paying the favour back, as it oh, were. And 
you know, taking you guys out. Yeah. And you recently did a, a series of, I was gutted I missed this, but I hadn't connected with Matt yet at this point. But you did three dates recently in Melbourne, didn't you, to kind of celebrate 40 years 40 of the years, cycles. Yeah, yeah. And you had Amal headline one night, the Chats headline another. Yeah, yeah, and the what a beautiful and the synergy. And, and It was great. Because the best thing about that is we didn't play last. Yeah, right. Because we could pull the boot. Because, no, you're playing last. We, we'll, we'll play early because we want to sit back and enjoy. It was perfect. And, and yeah, you know, the Chats just took us on a... A month in America, and we got to play in front of more people on that tour than what the twenty-five years of previously touring America. Like you said, they're doing thousand to fifteen hundred seaters, so we get to play in front of a completely new audience who are all going to like what you do because you know the similarity is. A... Well, they've got no choice because they're there to see the chats, <laughs> and they they don't want to move, so it doesn't yeah, matter. Right. <laughs> and um, you have Sean from X Ray as your agent as well, yeah. don't you? Both bands, yeah, yeah. Back, yeah. back in the UK. And no, he does. I've he... seen you're on Hellfest. Yeah, how's year, that one? Which, have you been there before? No, I haven't. Mate, I've got to tell you, I've, I've done a lot of festivals in my time, and that, for me, is the best festival in the world. Unreal. Just wait till you get there. The site is like, and you'll know, because, you know, Mad Max comes from Australia. It's like Mad Max. Unreal. You know, the set design. You ever done Glastonbury? Nah. Similar nah. vibe to that. Yeah. Just really you know, visionary stage production and it feels like you're entering in this immersive world of wow. just heavy metal, punk rock and roll. Well, and I'm the looking... lineups every year are just yeah. obnoxiously great. Well, I think we're first on on the main stage. So first on, first drunk. So great. I'll be able to enjoy the day. You'll have the best. And you can literally, there's the two main stages you can just pivot between, but then there's a whole other punk zone called the war zone. Right. And that's it. So that's very Mad Max. It's all like, you know, spiky Unreal. iron fucking castle structures. Ah. And... Now I'm looking, really looking forward to it's it. It's going to be mega. Oh yeah, I'll just I'll just walk around with my mouth open, going, "Struth." <laughs> Here we are, and again, like I guess because of those bands and and the success that they're enjoying, people are discovering you guys, but also they are you know taking you out and saying, "Well, we wouldn't be here without these guys," and that's a beautiful thing. Oh, it's not every band does that, uh, do they? Sometimes they just go, "Yeah, we're original. We yeah. came up with this," and they yeah. don't, you know. But no, acknowledge it's, you know, who, who led the way. And I just I like their attitude, the way look, you know, we, we, we basically took the chats out on their first run and they were just so young, but lovely blokes. And it was really good that their van broke down or they lost their driver. And we said, just jump in with us, fellas, you'll be right. And, and same with the sniffers, just took them out early. And you could just tell that they were really, you know, there was something about them. So, you know, we watch, uh, saying we watch on with pride is a stupid term, but I, I'm excited to see how well they're going, and their and the work ethic of of like just those two bands, for instance, is um is incredible. They work hard at it. They really work. I hope they don't overwork themselves. And, yeah, right. Well, that is the mistake that so many bands make. I think it is different now because there's more of a uh, awareness around mental health mm. and there isn't that same philosophy of just like, we're going to send you out on tour for 18 months and, and mm. you know, we don't care about how much you might be silently suffering. We're here to make money. So let's put you to work. I think we do live in a different time now, yeah. but it's also hard, I think, to have the foresight that sometimes, you know, maybe you just need six months off. You don't need to follow that tour with a new record, with another tour, with another record. Well, it's about, I think you'd need, if, you, if, you, if you're struggling to come up with ideas take six months off and get a shitty job just go back go back to where it all starts have to get up for work have a shit house boss um have a real mongrel of a time from monday to friday and then go and relax on a weekend pull it all back to where it started that's why i've never done this full time and i never would um you gotta have a job you gotta have things to give you the shits because otherwise for just for me i just it's a different world, you know, flying around. I mean, it's great. But you don't have to do much, but I'd rather, you know, you've got, to have, you've got to have things giving you the shits. I love that. I've never heard anybody break it down like that before, but that is, that's wisdom oh. right there, Ross. Working class wisdom. Yeah, well, it's it's life, really. I mean, yeah. what, you, what I, I just can't, and you see it, I've, I've seen it, some, some bands, not all bands, but that make a lot of money and then they've got nothing to write about. And then they well, then they start writing about the industry. Yeah, and, and then they start yeah. writing about going up there, putting their heads up their own assholes. Yeah, and then it's not, no one wants to hear about that. But if you walk out to go to the shop and stub your toe and, and drop your beer bottle, well, that's, everyone does that. So let's keep it to walk and 
This album's about walking to the shop and dropping your beer bottle. It's much easier. So are you still on the farm? Yeah, yeah, still there, mate. You still have it? Because obviously you touch on in the documentary the fact that you might lose it. Yeah, it got pretty close there. I um, only only held on um, just through the help of a lot of friends to organise some bridging finance and stuff. And I just paid the thing off. And next thing thing I owe more money than the American government. But my philosophy is not to worry about it too much because... When you die, you're dead. Yep. So I don't give a fuck if I die in debt. Yeah, right. I, I'm very much of that philosophy. <laughs> I've got a few few thousand to my name, and I'm like, well, you know, ah, they're not going to chase me to the other side well, to get that back, are they? They're not going to dig you up and <laughs> sit you up in court, because if, if you did, you'd Well, stink. I mean, they can. Good luck. Yeah, well, fucking up. Well, good on you, yeah. But no, I, you know, you only got one go at it, but I like living there, and I've, I've lived there you know, all my life, basically, mm. except for a little stint down here. When I was young, but no, it's it's a beautiful spot. So, yeah, so still there, mate. Still, still got the dozers running. Um, that which is it? Do the hack is the the cover. Go the hack, yeah. yeah. That was the old D seven. What still an got... iconic album cover that is. Yeah, it's that was... become just I think so synonymous with the Aussie punk imagery. And um, who out of the Seattle scene did you get to like get down to the farm? Who have you had over there? Uh, well, I've had Mud Honey on multiple occasions. Um, Ed Vetter comes up. Love it. Um, oh, fucking everyone. Zeke came up for a, for a barbie and a walk around the farm. I take him for a tour. Do they all want to get on the bulldozer and recreate the photo? Oh, L7 <laughs> did. Yeah, L7 did. We, I, had a, I had the dozer there and they uh, they came up years and years ago and, and, and they completely redid the photo. Love it. Which was really good. I had good. Danita on the show. She's ace, man. What oh, an amazing band they are. What a, uh, yeah, they're just our, they're just our, our mates. Yeah, we just always got along so well with them. They're just, just unreal. unreal. Well, there's a, there's a beautiful series of events that we should talk about for anybody who's not seen the documentary or read up about it. Because my mate, when he was telling me, he's like, yeah, the, the influence of the psychos, you know, goes all the way through to the prodigy. And I'm like, well, how? Yeah. What? <laughs> and then it's all explained in the documentary. The Fuel My Fire song yeah. is lifted from the L7 cover of uh, of your song Lost Cause. And that's that series of events there and so the story goes right you can tell us that is it Danita calls you in the middle got, of the night <laughs> yeah I got me it was I, me, I remember it was about 2.30 in the morning and the phone goes because at landline not a mobile and I go who the fuck's ringing me at 2.30 in the morning so I pick up the phone and it's, it's Danita and she's 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 had a few beers she goes well oh, we've written this song and it sounds like Lost Cause and she goes can I play you the can I play it to you and, and I, honestly I couldn't over the phone, I'm going, whatever, every song sounds the same anyway. I was like, fuck, there's only 12 chords in the world. She goes, oh, we'll, we'll credit you on the song. And I go, well, whatever. And, um, yeah, and then that came out on that album. And then, yeah, bugger me, Bob, the, uh, what is it, the crab of the land or whatever that fucking was. <laughs> Fat of the land Fat with a crab land, on the cover. Crab on yeah. The, yeah. I knew yeah. I'd get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and, and the Prodigy covered that song, so... Oh yeah, it was it was, it was ridiculous because everyone thought we were going to be millionaires. I mean, did we get any money out of it? Yeah, we got a few bucks, but not buying houses and ocean liners and Greek islands. It wasn't it wasn't anything like that. But it was pretty funny, like the the hype. Yeah. But the drummer at the time, well, the they s- were the. I mean, I don't know how big they were in countries like say America, but certainly in the UK, uh, they were like a cultural phenomenon. They were huge. I liked them. They were great. I, I it was the first time with that kind of uh well, i only call it sort of like you know i don't know warehouse ecstasy well, like punk dance rock. music yeah that was my first i really liked them because yeah. they did it with an attitude well he was clearly influenced by johnny rotten wasn't oh. he keith flint he, like he could see yeah just the way he wore his hair and he, his snarl everything yeah. he was like the dance punk johnny rotten wasn't he? absolutely no i really liked them i liked the stuff that they did because they yeah they just had an attitude and they sort of yeah, they, they sort of broke out of what was dance. Mm. They, 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 as you said, the punk rock part was in there and stuff. So that was it. No, they were huge in Australia, massive, massive. Now I've got a. Uh, I end up buying. I don't buy many CDs, but I remember buying "Breathe." Yeah, right. The single. I fucking love that song. That's a monster. Oh yeah, that's in regular rotation in my DJ sets. Yeah, it is just such a good, such a good song. I have noticed that a lot of the uh, musical tastes are very similar in australia and the uk 
Yeah. Like for certain bands, like, like Robbie Williams, for instance, not a very punk rock reference, but we'll use him for the case of this conversation. He is as big over here mm. as he was back home. He's certainly not anywhere near that big in America. But And there's a lot of bands like that, like, you know, Prodigy, Oasis. Yeah. There's, there's these kind of bands that never really broke America in any way, but just as big over here as back home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It's, it's, I think there's, there is that big connection. Yeah. I think, well, you know, it's the... Uh TV shows as well, Ross. Shows like Neighbours, Home and Away, Round the Twist, they were all like staple parts of our childhood, you know, television ah, viewing well in the see, 90s. I was my, my favourite night of television because I only had a, a TV with two stations and Thursday nights on the ABC, which was basically the BBC. Yeah. I'd watch the Dave Allen show and then I'd watch uh, Monty Python. Great. And yeah, I'm a Python head and all that. And you know, which went on to the young ones and mm-hmm. all oh, that man. stuff. I, I am just, that's that's my era. And all the British comedies, all the sitcoms. That, was the, Bottom the, big over here as oh, well? Oh, Bottom was yeah. great. Oh, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I was right there. Yeah, and Bottom, Blackadder, all the, just all that really cool stuff. Because I was growing up on, uh, basically brought up on Benny Hill, Love Thy Neighbour, <laughs> um, Steptoe and Son, because that's what my parents used to watch. So that, that British... It was that British humour connection and not so much the American thing. Like the American comedy, I'm, apart from South Park, I probably don't watch much. It's the canned laughter, yeah. I, I find. Yeah. F-troop. Like, here is the point where you're supposed to laugh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> apart from F Troop. I'll right. go for F Troop, which was pretty funny when I was a kid. But so F- g- going back to your parents, sorry, we got sidetracked there. So they, um, your dad wasn't too thrilled with the whole punk rock. Mm-mm. No, he used to... Um, I remember when we were starting to tour a bit, we'd be, already been over to Europe once. I didn't go to the first tour of Europe because I, I bought a bulldozer with my old man. So someone filled in for me. But after the the next year, I went to Europe for about three months. I remember the old, um, might have been Bill or Peter, called into the farm to pick me up to, to go somewhere. And unknown to me, the old man went out and he goes, you've had your fun now. Now Ross has got to stay home and work. You've had your fun, like basically piss off, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I didn't know. I, I didn't, like it was Bill and Pete that told me about that. So, but in the end, it just it was like there was it was a no brainer. Yeah, you can do both. I used to call it from Manhattan to my my. You know, I'll be in New York one minute and back home lying under a bulldozer the next. So you know, it was it was a good balance. And again, I love that, and that is rare because a lot of people, as soon as they get that meal ticket out, they're running away as fast as they can. But when you lose touch with your roots and what inspired you in the first place, that's when you do get lost in the more negative and destructive side of of this game. And like what you were saying earlier, for you, keeping that connection to home life and hard work makes you enjoy all of this all the more. Oh, yeah. And it's probably why you're still doing it and enjoying it to this day, right? Well, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. Love that I, as I well. wouldn't, wouldn't care. Because enough, enough people do it and hate it, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and hate the, their bandmates. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, for instance, last night, we're up in Ballarat. There's no band room in Ballarat. So we just, there's a car parked down the road. So we're just in the van. Buy some beer, sit in the van for six hours <laughs> when you're waiting to play. But I just sit there and go, this is what we got. This is what we get. And this is fine. <laughs> and you just, it's a state of mind. Not yep. getting the shits because there's nowhere to sit or hide or. Because we don't warm up or practice or do anything. I just sat there and joined a can. I, thought, I well, love that you don't sound check. It's oh, brilliant. It's a fucking waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> the first song, that's the sound check. Yeah. yeah. Well, we just hit an open A when we walk on. If we can hear everything, we get, we look at each other and just go, oh, that'll do. Now, has that backfired ever terribly where it's taken you half the gig to find some semblance of sound? Uh, you, you know, because, yeah, we don't, we don't play in stadiums so yeah, right. clubs uh clubs can struggle with fold back and stuff but again after playing in the in the late 80s and early 90s in little clubs in Spain and Italy and places that just don't have much instead of complaining about it as i said you just look at it and go there's one fold back wedge you can't hear anything coming out of it um you get an electric shock when you get your mouth hits the microphone but you go well, this is what we've got to work with. So you just make it work and just go, that's it. That's it. You know, I played in clubs where people had to walk between me and the amp 
to get to the toilet. And I go, well, that's all right. Just don't stand on my pedal. It'll be fine <laughs> because this is what we've got. We, it's not going to – complaining about it, it's not going to make it any better. Ah, so you just go, all right, that'll do. Fine. I love it. Again, it's a great attitude that so many people can learn from. I've always tried to maintain that. I've been DJing a lot whilst I've been down here. That's how I funded this trip. I've been staying in hostels because that's kind of, you know, what my financial situation has required. And so it's been, you know, a journey. Yeah. Being around people in their 20s, just getting pissed up every night, especially like having freshly given up the booze. And it's like, but I've chosen to be here, make the most of it, appreciate it. And and then when I get home and I've got my own room and my own bed, I'll be living the dream. Yeah. In yeah. in heaven. And I've been DJing a lot of the venues I imagine you'd have played heaps over the years. The tote obviously being one that's in the documentary. Yep. Played there a couple of times and by all accounts, you know, that's like a Melbourne uh, punk rock institution right there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was a home group. We we got our first Spring Plains, which was the first band out of high school. Rancid Spam was in high school, but Spring Plains we had a residency at the Tote every Thursday where we had to pay 75 bucks for the PA hire and we'd have like seven payers. So he was a really nice bloke, Slim, from the Johnnies. Used to, his parents owned it and he'd give us a couple of jugs of beer. But at the end of the night, he goes, sorry, but and we'd all be chipping in like $17.50 each <laughs> to pay for the PA. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we got, man. That's yeah, all we made. It was unreal. What about the Bendigo? You played that one? Yeah, a long, long time ago. And I used to see a few bands there. I used to go and see a few rockabilly bands at the Bendigo back right in back in the very, very early 80s. There used to be quite a few play there. And I kind of liked that sort of, it wasn't quite psychabilly, but the rockabilly with an edge, sort of psychabilly hadn't really morphed at that part in Melbourne, but yeah. just hard edge rockabilly, which was really cool. But I hadn't played, oh, we did play there, but very, very early on. So not for not for years and years. And what's really interesting is in in your pub song you talk about the um the Esplanade. Yeah. And now that is like you know that is poser paradise. Feels like you're down on Miami Beach down there. I mean, I can't imagine the difference. The building's still beautiful. Yeah. They've retained oh. the authentic old feel of the building a little bit. Um, tell me a bit about that place and, and your history with with St Kilda as well, because St Kilda, by all accounts. Oh. It was pretty lean and mean and wild yeah. back in those days. And, um, you know, the birthday party guys, I, I gather, were knocking around that part of Oh, of yeah, no, well. it, it, it was full on because you, you had the ballroom and then you had the Prince of Wales and you had the Espy and then you had the venue and you had Bananas and you had Joey's and there was this strip of clubs and it was just incredible. So, again, no internet machine. You'd be walking down the street. And you'd, you'd run into people who'd just left that venue. And you go, where are you going? They're going, well, we're going up to see blah, blah. Um, I'd say, well, we're going down to see blah, blah down there. And it was sort of like all these meetings and, and just word of mouth. And you'd always end up in the same place anyway. But it was great. And like the ESPY was, it was sticky cut downstairs. It was just, there was, there was the locals. It was just every part of the fool crew used to drink there at the ESPY. And there was always tables of cool, but you were tables of fool. And it was just a, just a complete, that's where everyone would sort of meet. Um, but yeah, it was, just, it was just a very exciting place to hang around. And then when every venue closed at three or four o'clock, there was a couple of drinking spots that would stay open till seven, eight o'clock in the morning. We could sit there drinking, watching the sun come up. It was, and it was, it was kind of like your 42nd Street or your... Soho or whatever. It's just it was it was music, art, drugs, and scum. All the good stuff. Oh, it was it was just it was great. Yeah, I think I honestly think Melbourne is my favourite city in the world. Um, you know, obviously it isn't now what it was then by what you're describing, but I think what's great about this city is that it's still a very musical place. There's oh, yeah. tons of bars and live venues that you know champion and support and showcase local music the food here oh. is fucking amazing and affordable yeah you know it's not like ridiculously priced um there's just something about it like i could happily move here i think it's it's way up there for me in the world kind yeah. of leading cities it's a good town like, i think it's really good and, and, and back in the day it was sort of like melbourne had the 
the going music scene, and Geelong was also very much alive, but Geelong was almost your Detroit. Right, yeah. It was industrial, and there was a refinery down there. And What and sort of bands would have been knocking about down there that uh, well, suggest checking out? Well, Bored were around there. Like all, the, all that sort of the Geelong crew came up, the Magic Dirt, the Bored, oh, so many modern lovers, um, oh, shitloads. Oh yeah, it was good. It was good because it, you know Geelong is not far away from here now, but pre-freeway it was a bit of a drive, so it was a it was a two-hour drive to Geelong. So they had to create their own scene, and it was good. Like we always used to play down there. It was great, but just a different place. Like there's there's a million bands I could I could mention. I just got to remember them all. But but they were fun. They were fun and just pure. And I only said I compared it with Detroit because it was very rock orientated. Powder Monkeys and bought all Powder those bands. Monkeys. Powder Monkeys. <laughs> Just the names of all these bands are oh, so good. <laughs> great band. Like if, if put it this way, if Zeke had been around in the in the mid to late eighties, that would have been Geelong's finest. Amazing. They were just just really, really, really tough sounding good bands and just honest. Dirty jeans, black t shirts, bang. That's it. There's no no show, but all go. It was really good. So when you first land in Seattle, how old are you? Uh, 26, I reckon. Right. 26 or 27. I'm just going to get out of the sun a little yeah, bit yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shimmy on in. Friday. <laughs> we oh. thought we'd record outside for ambiance. Do you want another? Yeah, I'll grab myself another beer. One. There we go. I love the ASCII culture down here as well. Yeah, but I think I was, I reckon I was 26. 90, 1990 it was. How old am I now? 62. 26 or 27? I can't remember. But anyway, still still mid-20s. So it isn't quite yet the cultural capital of the alternative music scene, but everything is bubbling away. It's gone mad. Like, you, you've got um, you've got Tad, Mudhoney, Nirvana playing at the garage, which is this big vacant lot stuff. And just, you know, you go there and every night someone's playing somewhere. Love bad. Just, just so many bands playing. Um, and it's just starting to bubble, but it was just before the big explosion, which, to say it was it built, I don't think it did. It just exploded, because like I, like I mentioned, maybe I don't know if I mentioned on the doco or not, but we were playing with Nirvana when they came out here the first time. No, this time. isn't in the documentary, no. Yeah, it's not. So we we did a show with them up in Sydney, and it was like a real Beatlesque thing. You get booked. A band gets booked and you get guaranteed a couple of thousand dollars a gig. And then overnight, Nirvana becomes the biggest band in the world. It was just incredible. So I'm staggering home. It's about, I don't know, eight o'clock in the morning. And, and Dave Grohl and, and Chris are standing on a corner in King's Cross in Sydney. And they're looking lost. Like I was lost in my head because I was still drunk. And I'm going, are you blokes all right? And they're going, uh, uh, not really. I go, what's wrong? I'm like, someone died. And they go, oh, we got a phone call last night. Uh, our our uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit's gone number one in America. And I'm like, what the fuck? That was, that's how quick it was. It was just like that. It just went bang. And they were just... Just didn't know how to process the information. Well, Dave was young. He yeah. was just a kid. Yeah. He was just a kid. And, and Chris wasn't on the piss then. He used to go in and out on the grog a bit. Kurt was his illness was sort of starting to uh, grow at that point and Courtney had just come over so he wasn't in a good mood um but yeah just to see a bunch of lads who you know you, you stand in a lounge room in Seattle with a year before as they're heading off to band practice uh all of a sudden the biggest band in the world and to me they were just the same blokes that were sitting in the lounge room so and it was it was quite a shock for everyone in the scene I think for the world, really. How the hell did that happen so quick? And as I said, without the internet machines and stuff, it's like, how did it happen? Mm. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's, it was weird. It was weird. And of course, then everyone signed and then everyone moved to Seattle because you had to go there. And then bands were getting signed left, right and centre. And I couldn't work out why these bunch of mates that we'd played with got signed, but another bunch of mates who were a really good band didn't get signed. But everyone was getting signed. So, and we had an offer. And I went, no. Because I said, well, you've got to go and 
tour for 11 months and you have to do this and you have to do that. And I went, no, you can fuck off, not doing that. <laughs> a bloody waste of time. I love that. So, you know, it just, it's, that's, for us, we're, A, we were too ugly and B, we weren't good enough. So, and that's kind of reason why we've never been, you know, really big or famous. Probably don't want to be. To have that self-awareness, though, and that um, honesty with yourself is pretty great. Well, it's called reality. I'm an ugly bastard, and I can't play any music, so it's kind of it's quite obvious. I'm not going to I'm not going to stand up there and say a lie. I, Hi, I'm gorgeous. Here's a Robbie Williams song. I can't do it. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with Robbie Williams, by the way. He's all right. He's got the looks. He's got the talent. He's got it all. He's a showman. He is. He's uh, he's one of the best showmen I've uh, ever seen. He made. I went to see him when he was over here. He made an arena feel like a pub. Oh. With the stories he'd weave between songs and yeah, I haven't seen him play live. I just but I did catch him play at the grand final at the at the Australia Super Bowl of football, and I was to honestly say I was blown away. Like to pull it off in front of a hundred thousand football fans at two o'clock in the afternoon, and to do to pull that off in the middle of a Aussie Rules football field, I'm thinking this bloke has something. Yeah. He's unreal, unreal. Talking of um, showmen and people who are just at home on the biggest stages in the world, Dave Grohl has to be one of the best modern rock frontmen out there. And then you've obviously seen him grow into that role, um, whether kind of closely or peripherally or, you know, interchanging between the two. But, you know, you, you met him when he was a kid, as you yeah. say, and, and, and now he's the Dave Grohl that the whole world knows. Like, what an incredible evolution. Yeah, it, it's amazing. I've, I've still got a video, and I'll, I'll give it to Dave one day. And I, I honestly, the chats just did a tour with the Foo, Foo Fighters. And I said to Eamon and Josh, I said, look, tell Dave that hi from the psychos. And Dave just went, what? He goes, I was in Nevada when I last saw them. That's the connection I've got with Dave. Uh, only once after Nirvana started, we did a show with Scream mm-hmm. at uh, First Avenue in Minneapolis, Prince's Club there, and I saw Dave then, and that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, but we're yeah, talking 30 years. Oh, yeah, shit, yeah. But, but oh, look, it's, it's, it's blokes like that I, I follow and just go, well, good on you, mate. Good on you. You've, you. You're a part of something that's now mythical, but you've created your own path not many people can say they've done that Nah, it's he's pretty good and look any bloke that falls off a stage breaks his leg and finishes the set that's all right too so um no good on him i mean there's the, i know that it's the tall poppy syndrome like if someone gets really popular everyone wants to cut them down but i think well i don't know him personally anymore but he, i know he rides motorbikes i ride motorbikes and he uh, likes barbecues i hear by he all likes accounts barbecues. he loves barbecues yeah and I knew him as a young bloke, and he was a good bloke. So I can only go on what I know and what I see, and he handles himself pretty good. And people that don't like Dave Grohl, they're just fucking jealous, aren't they? That's where it all comes from, I think, especially with the punk community. Right. Um, you know, that like Green Day are a great example. Um, you know, I think they haven't always remained musically in line with, with what people might call punk, but I think their ethics and their attitude and their drive and their authenticity all remains oh. truthful um, and sincere. And I think they've done great things for punk as a culture. But Absolutely. people love to shoot them down because they're massive. But this is the whole thing. I, I, I can't. Green Day, they, they, are, they worked hard to get to where they did. And they did, it, they did it their way, which is really good. Like, you follow their history. They were, stayed pretty much independent right through. And then... Like, why would you hang shit on Green Day for playing in front of 50,000 people in a stadium when those kids could be watching... Oh, I don't want to hang shit on anyone, but but something that's absolute shite. Mm-hmm. So I go, well, if there's 50,000 kids Cold watching... Plane. yeah, well, th- I didn't say that, <laughs> you did. <laughs> they might be nice blokes. I'm, I'm sure I'm, Chris Martin seems like a really nice guy, to be fair Yeah, to. so there you go. But I'd rather kids watching Green Day, Foo Fighters... And the whole thing is, Green Day and Foo Fighters are not young men anymore, but they're still attracting a young audience, which is teaching them that rock and roll's okay. Yeah. And as we 
alluded to a couple of times, when you discover a band like Foo Fighters or Green Day, in your case it would have been Ramones, you then go back and yeah. you go, oh, well, there was The Clash before these guys and there was Nirvana and then there was yeah. The Stooges. And yeah, yeah. That's which how it is, goes. It's a, it's, a fun, it's a fun journey to go back. Sure is. A fun journey. Now, how far back did you go? Because for me, at university was when I first started going right down the punk rabbit hole. And I went all the way back through to like 50s rock and roll, basically, and the 60s US garage rock stuff. Yeah. that Lenny Kay put on those Nugget CDs, all yeah. the, like the Sonics and bands like that. I went crazy for, and still am crazy for all that stuff. And I'm still finding that stuff. Dean, Dean is right into that stuff. That he looked like a rockabilly guy. Oh yeah, yeah. he goes Great back hair. in, and he's introduced me into a lot of stuff to go back in there. And I get in, in back into the, um, I call it punk country. Yeah, right. Yeah, go even cow punk. Yeah, cow yeah. punk. Just going right back, right back into. Just discovering stuff that's just the beat farmers and yeah, stuff like just, that. Just, oh, just go, yeah, just as, as far as you can take it, just with an attitude where they were just obviously never popular and everyone hated them, yeah. and that's that's a reason to go, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> jump on the hate train. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you about a lot of those Seattle bands is obviously there's a lot of darkness around the story of a lot of those groups. Um, and I think a lot of people associate that music with dark, depressive, um, very introvert characters, and we've lost so many of them now. Mm. But um, what comes across great in your documentary and seeing people like Eddie Vedder in that context playing the game with the coins <laughs> is like, and I've interviewed a few of them over the years, Buzz from the Melvins being one, and a lot of those dudes, and, and by all accounts, Kurt was this way too, really funny and had a really wicked... Yeah. sense of humor and actually weren't these morose depressed dudes that the world thought they were obviously they had their afflictions and their struggles yeah. and that you know took some of them under but um you know you've obviously known a lot of those guys for a long time and it seems like a lot of them are just you know really good fun and good guys uh, and girls absolutely and that's why sort of when we hook up like i was when the u.s tour finished just for instance um in November last year, I went went round to Lucan's place, and Ed came round for our little Olympics. Yeah, we have a drink in. It lives down the road, and and we we just don't talk about anything about except just stuff, everyday stuff, and laugh. And the same with Buzz. Like I've been lucky enough to tour with the Melvins a few times, and one of my all time favourite bands. And and but to hang around with those guys and just talk shit <laughs> and laugh yeah. and that sick sense of humour. He's got a wicked laugh as well, Buzz. Oh, but he's a wicked man. Yeah, he There's is. no doubt about yeah. it. <laughs> but they're just they're funny guys. And just, and I think, you know, that's the thing. The first time I met Ed, he goes, do you want to go to a record shop? Do you want to go to a guitar shop? And I noticed a baseball bat and a mitt and his ute in the back of his pickup. And I go, let's go hit a ball. And that's that's all they want to do is just do stuff. We The last thing we talk about is music. We just have fun. I love it. Just have fun. Talk about our families and whatever, and and just laugh and talk shit. You know, it's 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 quite simple, really. You know, your work's out there. You don't take your work home. That's my theory. Get up on stage for one hour whenever we play, and then as soon as I leave the stage, I'm just having a beer. I love it. And just don't give a stuff. <laughs> it's easy. Now, was it the heroin was it the drugs was it the weather in seattle um was it a combination of those things like it can't just be a series of coincidences that an entire scene i mean ed bless him eddie vedder is the last of all of those dudes now they're all gone apart yeah. from him yeah well i mean i mean the whole pearl jam as a as a collective they're all good guys they're all i like them all always been nice to me but yeah they um look <laughs> There's a lot of people who are in that scene, and I, for some reason, and I saw it here in Melbourne, like eighties. There's a lot of heroin in Melbourne oh, as well. Wasn't there? The eighties was it was it was full, it was full, and that's why I I didn't, and I lost a lot of mates, and you know, and because of my age group now, I don't lose anymore because they're they're obviously all dead, but um, it it just seemed to be, it, it, it was just seemed to be a cool thing to do, and I just could never get my head around it. Like yeah, I'll, I'll drink as much beer as I can till I nearly drown myself, but I'm not sticking a fucking needle in my arm and risking my life to be depressed and vomit. 
So I, I just can't work it out. And I know it was that that was a big scene in Seattle in the sort of basically early nineties. It's sort of Melbourne eighties, and it's like it's still a common problem now. But yeah, it just infested in the music scene, and that's why I sort of fought against it. Um, yeah, and I used to hang shit on that scene, which I shouldn't have done because you know it's it's an illness. It's not. It is what it is, but um, I just couldn't go there. As I said, I'm I'm to the pub man. Drink beer, laugh, go home, wake up, have a headache. Not take heroin and sit around in your fucking lounge room and nod off. I mean, that's not a life for me. And I guess, look, I don't know. I, I just, I guess someone does it who might be a bit trendy and you might be young and go, well, he does it or she does it, so maybe I'll do it and join the club. And it's sort of like, it's just a nodding spew fest. And that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, dude? <laughs> Hello, Digger. You need to get in. You hang on, I'll let yep. you in. Oh, I'll about for you. Cheers, Ross. We're nearly there anyway. Thanks, buddy. It's like Fort Knox up here. <laughs> Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There we are, my friend. So... As we do approach the end, first of all, thank you so much for your time. No worries, mate. I've really enjoyed it as I knew that I would. I knew that I would. Um, I think what struck me about the documentary the most, and I mean this sincerely, is just what a good-natured, generous, warm-hearted guy you are. Um, you know That comes across. Uh, the genuineness of your personality comes across really well in the film, and it's come across you know, today. As you're saying, it's just reality. It's who you are. Yeah. Um, what is the secret to longevity? We, we sort of mentioned it earlier on about rock and roll keeping people young. And, um, you know, for any, especially bands out there that might be listening, young bands, um, what are some of the, the things that you've experienced that have taught you about longevity? And, and Well, as far as music goes, I think the only thing that's got me through is leave it as a hobby. And I think that's, that's the secret. You know, we, we, we've crossed on it already today about being under pressure to write songs or being under pressure to be someone you're not. But if it's a hobby and you can walk off the stage and get drunk and go home the next day and go back to work, it stays fresh. And that's that's worked for me. Yeah, I'll never stop working. I'll never stop I'll never stop fighting, you know, for just being broke and having to earn a dollar the honest way. And I think for me that works really well. Because I've never got any worries about um, song matter. As I said, it's, it's it's stubbing your toe and dropping your beer bottle. It happens every day. <laughs> so if, if if to do it, I'm playing a lot this year, but that's that's for a different reason. But 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 it just play and then just go walk away, and then play and then walk away and just don't live it, and and just be yourself. Because if you have to live, from what I've seen, and, and I hate seeing it happen to people that. Could have been really nice people and could have had the world at their feet, but they start living, which is something which is not real. 
because they you, buy into the myth. The myth, and it's, it doesn't last forever unless you're the bloody Rolling Stones and good on them. Um, Do you know what though? Even they, um, and I obviously don't know them. I've never met any of them. But when the Stones are on tour, Mick Jagger always does this thing. He posts it on Instagram where he'll go out to a local pub with a little cap, slightly incognito. And he'll just post from the Stones account, like, hey, we're playing Austin, Texas tonight. I'm just here at whatever Bill's grub house before the gig. And he's still out there yeah. in life like a dude, just mingling with people. Yeah. That's yeah. what it's all about. Well, I think it is. I mean, you, you, we are. We're all the same. But like people say, oh, you're really okay. Look, I'm just like you. I'm a punter. And I always, I will always, Roland S. Howard taught me this one day. Went to see the birthday party once. And, uh, I was in a phone box trying to ring a cab to get home. Roland Howard came and kicked me and goes, get out of there. I want to use the phone. And I went, oh, mate, great gig. And he goes, fuck off. And I went, oh, I just paid 10 bucks to see you. I've seen you probably 10, 15 times. You just told me to fuck off. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to be that bloke, ever. Not that it ever was, but. Sometimes the lessons that we learn are exactly how not to behave and exactly what not to be as much as they are. I want to do it just like that. It's also, I don't want to do it anything like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is the band off for a little lunch outing, are they? Off for a little little stroll. <laughs> mate, what an absolute pleasure. What Unreal, an absolute mate. treat. Oh, what a day to do it too. What a day to do it. What a setting. Beautiful. And um, yeah, last day of your tour as well. So I appreciate, you know, the time and the the effort that you put aside for this ah, today. And, effort? Um, yeah, well. Mate, if you weren't here, be, zero. if you weren't here, I'll be sitting here drinking a can anyway. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you give me something to do for the day. Love it. And in terms of, here's one final thing I'd love to ask you. In terms of like the, the key to remaining in the game on the road, um, when all the partying and everything else is part of it, are there any tricks? Or is it just <laughs> you're made of stern stuff? <laughs> no, I think it, it is. And I keep saying this. Like, I, mean, I fall into the black hole all the time. But as Clint Eastwood said in Magnum Force, man's got to know his limitations. and But it never works. Like We fuck it up every fucking time. So we just go, well, and you can, and the whole thing is only ever blame yourself. If you blame yourself, it's okay. It's not like, oh, you got me drunk. I hate your guts. No, you did it, you stupid twit. <laughs> so you just blame yourself and just own just own the crime, basically. Own the crime and just do the time. Simple <laughs> as that. <laughs> Ross, you're an absolute gentleman, mate. Cheers, mate. Congratulations on everything as well and like just how everything seems to be going now. Uh, it feels like this whole new chapter. For the uh, band, it's super exciting, and, and you must, you know, feel grateful and appreciative and ah, it's great thrilled. It, it'll die on the arse that bloody quick, and we'll be doing nothing for another 10 years, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and make hay while the sun shines, right? Absolutely, mate. <laughs> and drink piss. Absolutely. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers, nice mate. One. Cheers. Cheers.